If you have a copy of God's word, would you open to Luke? We're going to start off with this, Luke 19, Luke 19, okay? And as you do, I I hope that you are considering a series like this, God's money, that it's not just about the money, it's about all of life. And I hope over the weeks that we're taking notes, that we're getting into small group, halfway through the series, God's money, we're looking at five diagnostics for biblical stewardship. As we think about stewardship, we're thinking about all that we have because it's all his. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all his. It's all his. It's all his. And Luke 19 is going to press us deeper as we go through this series, thinking about all that we have. We are stewards. We are handling somebody else's stuff, and we're going to give an account. So today's message is multiply it faithfully. All that you have, multiply it faithfully. Will I be faithful? Will I be faithful? At the end of your life, are you going to give an account where you're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Because every day is a new day to choose to be a faithful steward, to multiply what God has given. And so Luke 19 is going to take us into a parable. Okay, A parable is what? A parable is a is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, a heavenly message. And this is going to be a tough one. This is going to be tough, all right? So turn to your neighbor and say, hold on. Tell them, hold on, hold on tight, hold on tight. Buckle up, buckle up. We're going to be going some places, and we are going to look at some parallel parables, two for one, because I love you so much. You're welcome. Two for one, okay? You thought you were just getting one. No, we're doubling, doubling the joy today. Luke 19, we're going to start in verses. We're going to go through 10. And then through 27, we're going to go through this quickly. Okay, there's a lot of territory to cover. So if you have that open, uh, mine's on page 879. Everybody say, who cares? I I really want you to see in your own Bible, whether that on a screen or old-fashioned paper, that you would be open to Luke 19, and we would read these words, starting in verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. As they heard these things, right, he's speaking to this crowd, and he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem, he was thinking about who his audience was and what they were expecting in Jerusalem. Because they supposed, what were they supposing? What were they presuming? What did they expect? That the kingdom of God was to appear when? Uh, Immediately, right in front of them. Well, can we say this? If you have an outline, you're taking notes, let's talk about what we call the first coming of Christ, the first advent, when the Savior arrived, that there were expectations that he is going to conquer, that he's going to kick butt and take names, that he's finally going to overthrow the oppressive government, that they are finally going to be on the winning team, and everything's going to be easy and comfortable because it's so hard. So when the Savior came, every say Christmas, it didn't happen the way that they expected. They expected one thing. God had a very different thing. We also have what's called a second advent, and we call it the second coming. Jesus is coming soon. Do you believe that? He has promised. He's coming. He's going to come quickly, and we're even called the very end, the last words of Scripture, Jesus, come quickly. It's coming. It's going to maybe come differently than we expected, and all of the speculation, I don't know if any of us got it right, but we, we got to get this right. He's coming quickly. And what are we to do in between? When he first came and when he's coming back again, there is business to do. We are stewards of all of his stuff, but especially of the mission. And may we be united in this. As a church, 
as families, as couples, as individuals, we have a purpose. This is our purpose to make disciples. This is the mission to fulfill the great commission, to see people that are lost be found. Jesus' words, I I came to seek and save those who are lost. If we have God's heart, we have God's mission, we have God's eyes, we're moving with God's feet into the mission field, and we are seeing we're called to seek and save the lost with the heartbeat of Jesus to fulfill the Great Commission. Are you making disciples? If you're filling out some blanks there, I think we have make disciples, make disciples. If you want to put that up on your wall, if you want to hang that above your bed, if you want to put that at your desk, on your mirror, what is my purpose? To make disciples. I know why I'm here and I'm going to give an account. When Jesus came, he said, I'm coming back. And here we have a parable and he's clarifying what What is he saying? Because they expected one thing. He meant something very different. Verse 11, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem because they supposed the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. They thought everything promised in the Old Testament. Boom, now, 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 now. Man, I'm glad we're not like that. Just demanding everything immediately. The more that we read scripture, the more we see, the more things have changed, the more they're exactly the same. Because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, here's the parable, a noble man, everybody say Jesus, okay? A noble man, he's referring to himself, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return, calling, and this is so powerful, calling 10 of his servants before he leaves. He's he's calling some and saying, here, I have something to give. He gives them 10 minas. Anybody got a study Bible in the house? Anybody want to help me out? I don't know if you got any notes. Anybody got any notes? What, what in the world is a mina? Anybody got that? Anybody got that? All right. So what, what do we got? All right. So three months wages, okay? That, that could vary quite a bit, okay? So we're talking three months. We could say ten to $20,000. What are you going to do with 20K? You could do a lot with that. If somebody just said, boom, here's the bills, right? All the Benjamins that you need in your hand, you did nothing, but I'm going to offer it to you as a gift. And what happens? engage in business until I come. But as citizens, who is that? that? That's everybody. He's the nobleman. Jesus is the, he's the boss. And we are running his business. But as citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, so now he's a king, right? He came, came back and he is the king He ordered, because he's the boss, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So he gave them this cash. He left for a while. He came back. He told them what to do. He gave them an amount, and he is going to ask, what do we see in verse 16? Well, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. He said to him, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in very little, right? I gave you one mina. I gave you 15, 20 grand, and you made 150, $200,000. You multiplied it by 10. That's pretty impressive. He wasn't faithful in what seemed like a lot, but a bit. Verse 17 because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. Wow, faithful in little, authority over 
much, where little is given and where there's faithfulness, much is provided in return. Does anybody know the annual budget for Corpus Christi? This year, they approved 1.4. Close. That's, that's pretty good. Pop trivia. You weren't expecting that, right? $1.4 billion. He was given, what, $10,000, dollars $20,000. And in response of multiplying it by 10, he's saying, you now have proven that you can handle more, that more can be given. Now that you have been faithful this little, I am going to give you now oversight over a budget of 10 metros, say over, over $14 billion, it's yours, right? Like now oversee it, manage it because you have proven that you're faithful over little. That's pretty wild. How about this? Verse 17, that's a pretty sweet promotion, right? Everybody say nice promotion. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not bad, not bad. Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. The second, he comes saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas more. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. And then another came saying, Lord, Lord, here's your mina, right? What he's saying is, here's your money back. Didn't lose anything. What was the nobleman's response? What the king that came back to judge, what does he have to say about this? Well, the explanation from the one that kept it, he said, I kept it laid away in a handkerchief. I, I put it in my hanky, right? I, I hid it, and I hope it in us arises. Really? Really? Seriously? Come on. You did what? Why did he do that? Why? Why? Somebody ask why. Why? Why would he do that? Verse 21. For I was afraid of you because you're a severe man. Jesus is talking about himself here, right? Let's, let's not lose sight of that. The word severe is uh, austeros, which we get the, the term austere. And I'm sure that you use that practically on a daily basis, right? Austere. All right. Maybe we're on the wrong side of the pond for, for that kind of terminology. But austere is to be strict, to be intense, to, to be uncompromising, rigorous and demanding. And Jesus is saying, that's me. That's what I'm like. Hmm. Maybe a change of perspective, right? Verse 21, for I was afraid of you because you were a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And we're going to see this one played out a little bit more in Matthew 25 of exactly what he means by that. But he's saying he has employees and every investment, even though he's not doing it, others are doing the work and they're going to give an account, right, to the boss because they didn't work for that lump sum to start off with, but they're responsible to do something with what they've received. And there we have verse 22. He said to him, what's the response? I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man. You knew it. You were not surprised by that. You knew it from the start. Taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow, implying if you really knew that, if you really knew that, you would have responded differently. Verse 23, why then did you not put my money in the bank and at least you get a little bit of interest, right? He said to those who stood by, take the mina from him, take it away. 
give it to the one who has 10 minus. What do you, what do you think the response from the crowd was going to be on that one? The guy that at least didn't lose any, but he held on to it, that was intimidated, was a little fearful and anxious, that he, in a sense, squandered the opportunity. And the, the king says what? Rip it out of his hands. Give it to the one that is intentional in multiplying. And the crowd said, no fair, no fair, no fair. Whiny, 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 why, why, why? And for us today, how often are we looking around going, it's not fair, it's not fair, it's not fair. If you know that God is going to hold you accountable, you're going to live a little different. You're going to think differently, right? So this is in the Bible, right? This is what, this is what it says. He says, take it from him. Give it to the one that has 10. Those that stood by, they heard this. <laughs> Lord, he, he has 10 minus. He, not fair. I tell you that to everyone who has, everyone who has more will be given. But for the one who has not, has not proven faithful, even what he has is going to be taken away. Does that explain some things maybe in our lives? I mean, if we're really, really honest, can we be honest in God's house? Maybe the reason we are where we're at and we're constantly complaining and we're constantly fearful and filled with anxiety and that we don't have and that when somebody else gets that we are in an uproar and envy and covetousness and Jesus is like, this is a problem and we got to talk about it, right? This is so powerful, so powerful. He says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. The one who has not will be taken away. But as for these, and this is what he says, as for these enemies of mine, these enemies, these citizens that they should have known better, who's he talking to? He's near Jerusalem. He's talking about the Jewish people that claimed that they were believers, that they trusted, that didn't want Jesus. They rejected him. Does that sound familiar? As the story unfolds, they are going to ultimately reject him. They're going to be screaming, crucify him. We don't want him as our king. And Jesus knew that. What's going to happen? Those who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Everybody say, ouch. That's imagery that is to cause a fight. It's, it's to cause an uproar. It's to provoke a response of, I'm right with God. We're, we're the good ones. We're, we're on the right team. No, not if you're not obedient to King Jesus. Not if you are squandering what he has given. Revelation 19, 12 says, his eyes are like a flame of fire. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of almighty God. Hebrews 10, 31 it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Hebrews 12, 29, our God is a consuming fire. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for what has been done, whether it's good or whether it's evil, whether our time, our talent, our treasure, anything that we possess, we are going to stand before a holy God 
And many are going to experience a horrifying, unexpected end of we thought we were right. We thought we were doing the right thing. We thought we were on the right team. And the reality is many, many are going to hear, take them away, take him away, take him or her away. There's going to be a separation between sheep and goats, the wheat and the weeds, the wheat and the tares. Other parables clarify. This is a sobering way to start a message, but I think the reality is Jesus intended for a sobering response from his parables. So here's the next parable. Everybody ready? Say ready. Okay. If you want to flip to Matthew, you're going to back up a little bit, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke. So if you're in Luke 19, you're going to back up to Matthew 25, Matthew 25. And the rest of our time, as we have that as a stage is set, I want us to unpack this parallel parable, right? The story that's an earthly story with a heavenly emphasis. Here we go. Here we go. Verse one kicks off with this. The kingdom of heaven will be like, okay? This is how the kingdom of heaven is going to be. This is what it's going to be like. This is how Matthew 25 begins. And then if you want to jump ahead, let's do this. Verse 14, let's start there. I'll let you on your own read the whole content of Matthew 25 prior. For it, the kingdom of heaven will also be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. Whose property? Everybody say God's money, right? Uh, All of it is God's stuff entrusted with the stuff that God has provided. And here we see again, the nobleman owns everything. He has given it. It says what? He entrusted to them his property, verse 15, to one he gave. So here's where it changes up a little bit. They're not all equal shares. There's different amounts. To one, he gave five talents. So instead of minas, we're looking at talents, right? To another, he gave two. To another, one. To each according to his ability. Hmm. Every say interesting. That's very interesting. So God has created each of us uniquely with abilities that vary and are different. There's aspects that we are all given something equally and the same that we're responsible to multiply. There's another aspect that we're given things that are unique. And with the unique opportunities of these talents that we are called to do something with them. And here it is. One guy gets five. And so if you're talking about talents, okay, I don't know if you have your study Bible again. All right. If you don't have a study Bible, just Google it, bro. Google it. Google it. All right. You can Google it. What are you going to find out? Anybody got an answer for me? Okay. So you're talking 20 years. Wow. Well, that's different. We went from three months to 20 years. Okay. It's ramping up and everybody has a different amount. So, so help me out. If the first guy got five talents, I'm not super brilliant at math. I know some of you, you're just killer at math. All right. If there's five and it's equivalent to 20 years wages, we're looking at the total of what? Help me out. Five times times 20, carry the one over. Yeah, 100, right? 100. Okay. We're talking about uh, probably more than a lifetime of work. You work your whole life and then some. Talking about some pretty mad cash here. Okay. This is a lot. This is a lot. What what is he going to do with it, right? What's the guy going to do with his two, which is equivalent to 40 years? What's the the one that's equivalent to 20 years wages? What is he going to do? Well, each according to his ability, he's going to give 
some, and he's going to give a lot, and he's going to give a whole bunch, different people, same expectation. Here we go. Verse 16, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them. Again, that, that doesn't mean that uh, he just did business. I mean, he's buying, he's selling, he's coming back with much more. He went right away with a sense of urgency, okay? Does that describe you? Just a sense of urgency of everything I have, it's gotta be invested, multiplied. So he who had two talents, you see that verse 17? He who had two talents made two talents more. Man, now, now we're getting somewhere, right? So the five went to five, the two went to two more, and now he who had received the one went, and what does it say? Dug up a hole, hid his master's money. Do you see the parallel? One's sticking it in a hanky, hiding it somewhere in his house. The other one's like, I'm so serious about this being secure. I'm going to find a hole. I'm going to dig it. I'm going to bury it. And we have another. Really? Really? You know you're going to give an account. You know that he's going to come quickly. He's coming back. And you did, you did what? Verse 19, now after a long time, everybody say long time, long time, long, 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 long. Do you know what happens after a long time? We have a tendency to lose urgency after a long time. We could start, we could start well, but we don't just start, we do what? We, we, we finish, we finish all the way to the very end. We don't just begin a thing. We don't just get excited about a thing. We carry it through all the way to the end, but after a long time, some bad stuff starts happening. The longer that you go, without incident, without problem, without, he hasn't shown up yet. Accountability hasn't knocked on my door yet. Jesus hasn't returned yet. The longer that you go, the more you start to feel like you're kind of invincible, that you're, that you're immune to what's coming. You forget about the severity of the judgment and we fall asleep. So here's a question. Everybody look up here. For some of us, and, and We'll do a show of hands, all right? We'll do a show of hands. Some of us, we, we know we're not Christians, and, and that's okay. Jesus is in the business of seeking and saving the lost, right? For some of us, we, we are followers of Jesus. And for some, we've been doing this for a little while, some a little bit longer, and some a whole lot longer, okay? So uh, just shoot up your hand. If, if you have come to Christ, you've trusted in Jesus, and you've been following Jesus, and it's only been the past like five years, just shoot up. It's just been past five years. They're like, I'm serious. I'm following him. I'm obedient. Okay. Got a number of hands. How about kind of that, that five to 25 range in there, kind of somewhere in there. I've, I've been walking with Jesus. Shoot, shoot, shoot up your hand. Okay. We've got a few. How about the 25 to, you, you make up the number, right? You want to shoot up your hand? Okay. We, we got a whole, whole lot of hands, right? Thinking about this. Man, what was so exciting and so exhilarating and even what was so sobering of, I got to make up for lost time. I've been living selfishly. I've been living so long for myself, doing my own thing. I'm the king of my life. And now Jesus is king. And there's such a sense of freedom. And there's a sense of, I can't wait to get to know this book. And I can't wait to get to know this God. And man, things got to change. They got to change. And I got to move with urgency. And man, I'm, I'm sobered by the reality. I'm going to give an account. And then pretty soon, years five to maybe 25 are, I don't know, I've just kind of, I fell asleep a few spots in there. And 
and at different times, uh, God had to kind of take a two by four and kind of wake me up a little bit and, and shake me like a dog to just get me back to this place of, of serious followership, right? And then for some of us, if it's been 25 years beyond, the, the temptation gets greater and greater to, I'm retired, yo. I'm retired, yo. If you've been saved longer than 25 years, you probably don't say yo. But as, as you think about, I, I've been following what some of us even say, I've just been a Christian my whole life. I've just been a Christian my whole life. That, that's not true. It's not accurate. But, but the idea of it's been so long, it's hard to think about years before Jesus the temptation gets greater and greater as time gets longer and longer to fall asleep and forget he's coming. He's coming back. Could be this afternoon. Lord willing, before I finish this message, Jesus, come quickly. Come back. But the big question is, the longer it goes, the more we forget, the more we get relaxed. What does verse 19 say? Now, after a long time, the master of those servants, he came. Everybody say, finally. Ah, it's just after so long, he's finally back and he's going to settle accounts with them. What does verse 20 say? He who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five? Here, here, here. I have made five talents more because he knows the master. He knew the expectation. He knew the ROI. He knew that there was going to be a demand. And he was pretty fired up to say, King, I didn't squander it. I didn't waste time. I committed from beginning to end. I didn't know when you were coming back, but I took it serious. And I was thinking about that day, that day when you were going to return. And I did not slow down all the way through. I ensured that everything I had, it was yours. And I want to multiply it. And what does the master say? Verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, well done. You've been faithful. Enter, I love this, I love this. Maybe you can give a little, a little shout, a little yell, a little fist pump, okay? After this, after this phrase that came out of the master's mouth, he said to the one that was faithful, enter into the joy of your master. Come on, church, that's so awesome. I took it serious. I was faithful. I'm entering into joy everlasting. It was worth it. It was worth it every step of the way. Verse 22, he also who had two talents came forward saying, master, master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. You gave me two. Look, we got four. How awesome is this? And we're so prone to think, well, if I had been given what they were given, listen, bro with two talents wasn't looking over at dude with five. He was saying, I'm focused on what I've been given. It doesn't matter the amount. It matters the multiplication. It matters the sobriety, the seriousness, the faithfulness, the commitment all the way through. And he was saying, you gave me this much. It doesn't matter what it's compared to. You gave it to me. It's a gift and I'm going to multiply it, and I'm going to do it faithfully. And he did, and he did. And also, he who had two talents, he came forward. He's going to hear this too. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I'm going to set you over much, okay? Your part's coming, all right? Everybody get ready, get ready. Second guy with 
the two that multiplied it into four, hears Jesus say, enter into the joy of your master. Come on, let's hear it, let's hear it. He's like, it was worth it, it was worth it. I was so focused on what I was given, not what I wasn't given, but what I was given. And I was grateful and I was intentional and I was committed to advancing his purposes, not my own. And he hears, well done, enter in, enter in. So there's, there's different kinds of ROI, okay? As we look at these first guys, it's not about the amount. It's not about the amount, it's about return on investment. Everybody familiar with ROI? There's a return on the investment. The nobleman, the king, we're talking about Jesus here, is expecting all that I have given you, I'm gonna come back and there's gonna be a return. And so I, I just want you to jot down these four. Here's, here's four different investments, different types or kinds of investment. How about this? Jesus is gonna expect a financial return. Do you believe that? For some of us, we have handled hundreds of thousands of dollars over our lifetime. For some of us, we're, we're talking in the single or double digits, okay, of where we're at in life. Regardless of the amount, financial, what are we doing with the money God has given? That's a piece of it. Is this parable all about cash? Is it all about the money? It's not less than money, but it's more than money. It's not less than our finances, but it's, it's more. And if you're taking notes, jot this down. How about family return? Can we get honest? God, you placed me in the most dysfunctional family ever. I'm a miracle child to even survive my upbringing. And I'm with you on that. I, I, I feel you. I feel you. For others, you're like, yawn. Yeah, my childhood was all right. Yeah, nothing spectacular. For others, like I was given so much at an early age, regardless of family, regardless of if you're now raising your own or now you're, you're looking at legacy, regardless of where you've been, regardless of where you're at or where you're about to go as far as family, there is such a powerful principle of what are you doing with the family members that God gave you? Do you believe that close relationships is a stewardship issue? I'm gonna give an account for what I did with the people that God has put in my life. Maybe the people that have come out of you. Maybe the people that said I do to you. Maybe the people that got hitched into your little tribe. Maybe the people, the extended, extended family that you don't even know really if you're related, but they show up right at the, all the family functions, right? You're not sure who that guy is, but all the people that are either in your house or close to you, there is a reality of God say, here's a gift, here's a gift. And you're like, God, take it back. I don't want that gift. It's not a gift, it's a burden. I feel like I'm cursed with my family members. Regardless of what you've been given, God says, I gave it to you specifically. I allowed you to be part of that family. I allowed you to raise or be involved in the raising of these kids or grandkids, nieces, nephews. I allowed you to be married and to start a family. What did you do with what I gave you? Did you do your thing? Did you just view it your way your whole life? Did you invest in or did you just demand and expect and just disappointed with unmet expectations all day long? You're going to give an account with what you have been doing, what you're doing, and where you're going forward. How about this? Not just financial or family, but fruit return. Everybody say, say what? Yeah, yeah. The fruit return. Here's the reality. If you want to jot down Galatians 5, Galatians 5, 19 through 23, Galatians 5, you can look it up this week. 
there is a reality of the Holy Spirit coming in, taking up residence in you at the moment of salvation. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? You don't need a second baptism or a third baptism. You have been baptized at the point of salvation with all of the Holy Spirit. The question is, does all of the Holy Spirit have you, not do you have all the Holy Spirit? And when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, there's an expectation that you steward a lifestyle of being filled and led, being guided by the Spirit. And how do I know that I'm Spirit-filled? Well, Galatians 5 is a go-to passage with absolute clarity, and it's less maybe about flopping on the ground like a fish or barking like a dog. Maybe it's a little bit more about love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, that when the Spirit has all of you and you are investing your time in being filled and led by God's Spirit, fruit grows on your tree. It's supernatural fruit. It's not what you mustered up and strengthened through to produce. It's the power of God in you. And do you believe that you're going to give an account for how fruitful was your life? We're not talking about what you did. We're talking about who you are. We're talking about your character. We're talking about lifestyle of these fruit. And again, Paul just lays out nine examples because it's not the exasperated version of the list, right? That, that's not the full list, but it's fruit like this. And I think we're going to give an account of, man, for so many years, I was just fruitless. I was barren. There was nothing growing on my tree. I looked just like the world. I smelt like the world. I thought like the world. I lived like the world, but I claimed to be a follower of Jesus. And we're going to stand before the king and give an account. What did you do with my spirit that I gave you? Who was really in control? And how about this? Lastly, how about just faithfulness? There's a faithfulness return. Have you been faithful? Not have you accomplished all these things, but the little things that you were given, did you carry it all the way through? Can, can I speak into our culture a little bit? Okay. Can, can you receive this? Can you receive this? We are a culture that backs out of every commitment at the first sign of sniffles or bad sleep. We absolutely are allergic to commitment. I am always going to have a plan B or a plan C or a plan D. If it gets hard, I'm done. I'm going to find somebody to blame. I'm going to accuse others instead of taking ownership. We are horrible. And the church should be radically different. I'm going to be faithful. I know I'm going to give an account to be faithful. Throughout the past 15 years plus of preaching, there have been more than 20 or 30 times that I was puking my guts out in the bathroom before I walked up on stage to preach. And I'm not boasting in myself. I just, I'm aware of, I don't care how I feel. I don't care what the night was like. I had food poisoning a couple months ago puked all night long, passed out for an hour, and I was here preaching. It's me knowing, Jesus, I'm going to give an account. And I know I'm so prone to make excuses. I'm so prone to be following my feelings or how I feel or how I slept or where I'm at financially or every, every other excuse to say, how about not today? I just need a week off. I just need, and years ago, I was around faithful men and they lived it in front of me. They displayed to me, no matter what, be faithful. Do not quit. Don't give up. 
And if it wasn't for men that showed me the way, if it wasn't for men that shared stories, horrific stories of what it's like to go day after day or week after week and experience things that should check you out of being faithful and they chose again and again, I'm gonna be faithful. I'm gonna be faithful no matter what. I'm gonna keep showing up. I'm gonna keep showing up. I'm not gonna make excuses. And again, I think there's some foolishness, right? There's some level of foolishness that uh, if, if you hit a main artery and blood is gushing, like, don't, don't show up for children's ministry, okay? Like, get to the ER, right? I think there's aspects of, I, I know that if, if you weren't able to make food, like, show up to the family chat and the potluck anyway, okay? And don't make an excuse because I, I don't have anything to bring. Be faithful and just show up. Just be there. You can't love people if you're not present with them, if you're not there to display faithfulness, it's really hard for people to look around and say, I have so many examples. Man, I have so many mentors. I have so many people that I can look up to. In our day, there are fewer and fewer. And what if today you're, you're just committed, you're resolved, I'm gonna be the one that people can look to as one that is faithful and that they can do it too, that they can do it too. We need that. We need that church, amen? Amen. Here we go. Here we go. Number three, if you're taking notes, Jesus says, failure to multiply, ooh, ooh, failure to multiply is wicked and lazy. Everybody say, ouch. Okay, Jesus' words, I'm just the messenger, just the messenger. Here we go. Verse 24 of Matthew 25. He also who had received the one talent came forward. What happened to that guy? Master, I knew you were a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. Huh, slap in the face, right? We heard this before. Verse 25, what was his response? I was afraid. I was afraid. What does fear and anxiety do to you? Well, for him, what did fear compel him to do? I went and I hid your talent in the ground because I was afraid. Here, have what's yours. Have what's yours. I'll give it back. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. Wow. You would expect from a kind, gentle Jesus, kinder and gentler words. But instead, we get a fuller picture of who Jesus is. We get a clear image that Jesus is the boss, the king, that is going to call out those that are evil with what he's given, that have lived lazily, you wicked and lazy servant. I told you how to steward the things. I told you that I was coming back. I told you that you were gonna give an account. And what did you do? God's heart is for you to experience joy, sobering joy sobering, faithful living now for joy to come forevermore. And as I, I've been reading through this this week, I'm just thinking, God, everybody among us at our church is going to give an account. I hope you realize the, the weight that that carries as your pastor, thinking we're all going to give an account someday. And it's overwhelming to think how many how many under my care, how many of us in ministry in this church are going to hear 
you are wicked. You've been lazy. You have played the part without a heart of faithfulness. You put the mask on and you went through the motions. But because you were so filled with anxiety, so controlled and paralyzed by fear of all the what ifs and, and what if I look bad? What if I look stupid? What if I fail? What, what, what if I, I can't follow through? What if I don't know the right answer? What, what, what if I do something in public that, that people are going to talk about? What if people gossip about me? What, what if they say things about me? What if they judge me? And can we just settle that right now? Living by that fear is going to result in a day like this. Because God's people are not paralyzed by fear. They're set free to take risks, to be bold. And I just want to ask the question, how financially risky are you? And I would say risky in all areas, but some of this shows up with the money that we have and how we handle that. And I think you got a little, you got a little image there, right? You got a little graph. Uh, if you want to write this down, I just let's, let's talk about layer after layer, starting at the bottom. Let's talk about layers of and levels of risk. Uh, the first one I, ju I just put down, how about the slacker? A slacker doesn't really risk because he or she doesn't work very hard, does the bare minimum, tries to get away with pushing it off on other people, but still wants to play with the toys, still wants to be obsessed, obsessed with the selfies and the outings and the trinkets and to have the stuff and to look the part, but do as little as possible and the slacker wastes his or her life. And how about this? Maybe, maybe a bump up would be the hoarder. It, it's the guy who works maybe hard to buy a lot of the man toys. And I work my tail off, man. I deserve this. And you're going to give an account for how hard you worked and how much you hoarded. I just watched, I just watched a YouTube video of a guy walking around person to person and just asking, hey, would you be willing to give me $1 and I'm trying to get a, a business going and I want you to, to sample what I'm trying to do and just for $1 that like, I wanna turn my life around because of my background and I'm coming out of poverty and generations of just dead ends and living off the government and like, could you just help me? I, I want to give you a sample. If you just give me a dollar and then I want to raise the funds to be able to get this business going. And 95% of the people, all they did was vent about how hard they've worked for their money and how much that they've done and that they deserve a break. And this guy doesn't deserve anything. And is that, is that the mantra of our culture right now? You know how hard I worked for this? I can live however I want to. I can buy whatever I want to. And maybe in God's house, we could say, we are not like the world. We are so different. We handle God's stuff differently than the world does. We don't hoard. We're not slackers. We're not hoarders. How about this? Investor. Investor. The investor intentionally risks. It's better to try and fail than to not try at all. And the investor lives with a measured, studied, reasonable amount of risk, understanding God is going to hold us accountable. And how about this? As we take further risks, where does it go? Uh, the gambler. The gambler says, I'm willing to ra rack up and ramp up the risk so high that I'm willing to cut corners, get there fast, manipulate, get rich quick. Everybody say no bueno. Yeah, no bueno, no bueno. The, there is a good reason in our culture for great 
poverty in regards to gambling individuals and homes. If we're going to do it right and we're going to do it God's way, it's not happening fast, but it's faithful. It's steady. And how about this? The cheater, it just, it just keeps getting worse. The cheaters, we know that cheaters don't prosper. Cheaters don't win. You're going to reap what you have sown. And if risk has led you to lying, paying what you don't have, debt that is absolutely insane and burying you, God won't allow you to get ahead because the way that you're doing it is not his way. It's not his way. It's not his way. And how about this? What if our church was pursuing something right there in the middle of wise, godly investors? Wise, godly investors investing God's way, taking risks God's way, thinking about all that we have through the lens of Scripture. And I, I think that it's so important for us to, to take a look at Jesus just real quickly, and I, I want us to clarify something. If we just looked at the life of Jesus, maybe some of us could make a case for, well, isn't Jesus expecting us to just like live like a hobo, live, live on the street, right? Have nothing because money just corrupts, absolutely, right? And we don't look at Jesus' life and say we're going to pattern our financial wisdom or our stewardship off of how Jesus lived. Instead, we are going to listen to how Jesus taught. And so we could say it this way. We don't teach Jesus' economical practice. We practice Jesus' economical teaching. Because we could switch that around. Do we base marriage and the pattern and example of marriage based on Jesus' marriage? No, because he, he never was married. Do we base our ministry off of Jesus, that it's only right to travel around as vagabonds with 12 teenagers? It, no, we follow his teaching, right? We follow his teaching. He was starting something new, and we have the entire New Testament to follow and be instructed by. So if your temptation is to renounce money because it's dangerous, that's not good stewardship. And here we go. Everybody say, land the plane. This is it. Number four, as the worship team comes up, we want to say this. We skipped a verse. We skipped verse 23. And for a reason, I, would, I want us to end with this. Faithful multiplication leads to greater joy and opportunity. Joy and opportunity. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. And we see that repeated multiple times, but enter into the joy of your master. The first two heard that there's joy, there's opportunity. So bottom line, where are we at today? I, I don't know where you're at with all that God has entrusted to you, but I would say this, just in, in landing the plane, get out of debt. Your master expects a return on his investment. He's demanding He's a boss that will hold us accountable. Failure to multiply is wicked and lazy. A moderate amount of risk as an investor, not a cheater, not a gambler, not a hoarder, not a slacker, right there in the middle, doing God's work, advancing his kingdom. Jesus is really serious about this area, so serious, he's willing to paint two parable pictures. He's willing to call us out and say, it's time as followers of him, that we are living differently than the world. We are seeing ourselves as stewards that are going to give an account.